Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to Almost Heretical. I'm Nate, and as I say all the time, the reason I do this show is because I want you to feel less alone and less crazy because there are so many people on this journey of changing what we believe or or don't believe. And it can feel lonely. It can feel like an island sometimes. So I want you to have resources so you can have these conversations with others. And also just to hear other people talking about these things and wrestling through these things and and asking these questions and seeking out different answers. So that's what we do on this show. And I'm so glad that you're here today. And, And especially right now because we're starting a new series today. And if you've been a listener for a while... You remember a series we did called The Gender Series, where we looked at Paul, we looked at um, Cynthia Long Westfall's work, kind of examining Paul and saying, maybe this person that has been used to kind of keep women from teaching in the church or having authority over men, maybe we've been misinterpreting him. And maybe there's a way to look at the, the teachings and the writings of Paul in a new way and see that possibly Paul was actually trying to champion women um, and their voices and and had a different perspective than the the times that he was in. And so we did that. That exists. You can go listen to it. You don't need to listen to that to be a part of this series and to kind of launch into what we're going to do, because we're going to go well beyond that series. I mean, what if Paul really did mean that women shouldn't have authority over men. I mean, what if, what if that is the way that we should be interpreting that? And joining me in this series, I'm, I'm really excited to have Shelby Bennett. She's a biblical scholar and feminist, and she and I have similar experiences in the church and just in our upbringings. So I'm just thrilled to have her joining us today. Shelby, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. This is such an important topic to me, and I think one that is not just about women, but it's about something much bigger. It's really about how we view God and the Bible. So I can't wait to get into this. Yeah. And so I I think in this first episode, it's going to challenge the very core of who we believe God is. And it's going to take us to other places like how do we read the Bible and uh, what it means for the Bible to have authority. And even this concept of, quote unquote, the Bible, what does that even mean? Um, So we're going to go lots of places and more. So if you already believe that women should be teaching and preaching and elders in the church, don't stop listening because what we're going to see here is that the way that we've been interpreting this, um, or others have been interpreting this, it's actually happening with other topics and other theologies that we believe. So stick around. We're going to go a lot of places here, and I'm really excited to get to do that. So Shelby, let's start with this. How did you come to even be interested in this topic in the first place? Well, I grew up, as you said, I grew up in a very Christian environment and uh, very based on the Bible. And the Bible has been 
central to my life and one of the most valuable things in my life. And I mean, some of my earliest memories are memorizing scripture and reading the Bible at breakfast every morning. And so um, even though, you know, a lot of this is framed through the lens of women and feminist issues, and I do care deeply about that, foundationally, the journey for me has been about the Bible. And so I was planning on being a Bible translator is where a lot of this started. And so in university, I was studying linguistics and getting ready to go to unreached people groups and translate the Bible into languages that it's never been translated into. Um, And I was so excited about doing that. Um, And as I got closer to graduating and actually making this reality, I was also... I'm growing in my awareness of um, feminist issues in the world in general and my own identity as a woman. And so I started reading some of these passages, the things that Westfall talks about, particularly these passages of Paul that are very directly stating women should not teach and women should be silent in church. And, And while, you know, authors like Westfall have different ideas about what that means, that could be potentially more liberating. I, of course, come from a background where that was taken very literally in black and white and put into action. And as I was getting ready to translate these texts for people who have never read them before, for cultures that have never been influenced by them before, um, I started to hesitate and wondered, do I want them to have 1 Timothy? I I remember when that question kind of first popped in my mind was, do I I have to give them the whole Bible? (laughs) That's not a good. That's not a great feeling to be having when you're about to embark on this no. journey, like lifelong journey, probably. Yeah, and not to be um, too punny about it, but it felt almost heretical that to be questioning um, whether or not the whole Bible was good. Um, so that was kind of where the journey started for me. Um, it was less about the specific issue as much as um, what do I think about the Bible and how? Why am I having these feelings of Um, hesitation to want to give this. Is the whole Bible good? And at the same time, I was taking um, some gender studies classes and learning about how gender and power dynamics are at play in the world as a whole. I mean, we talked, we weren't talking about the Bible. We were talking about, you know, movies and media and news and all these things that are happening today. But I couldn't help but um, transfer that knowledge of over. And if I, once I was realizing how much, um, the people who create the media and the people who write the books and the um, texts, how influential that is. And I couldn't help but think, does it matter that the Bible was 100% written by men? Does it matter that I don't have any scripture from the perspective of a woman? So that was where, a bit where the journey started for me. So it's almost things like the, uh, what is, is it the Bechtel test? Yeah. Where you look at a movie. So these are the kind of things maybe you're talking about in um, in your studies there exactly. where it's not necessarily related to the Bible, but just like a movie. Um, that one, what does that measure that how many times a woman talks to whether or not women talk to each other about something other than a man in film. Right. Mm-hmm. So I, yeah, even you take it that and you go, are there any, how many female characters are there in the Bible? Whose role in the story isn't simply as a wife, daughter, mother, sister to a main male character. Well, yeah, because like even the the champions in the Bible of you know talk about like Esther or Ruth or something. I mean, like they're that's like his token role, right? I'm not not trying to like diminish it, but like if we're really talking about it, you have all these male characters that um, that 
men would have to look up to in the Bible. And the ones that are the, the women to look up to in the Bible would be like kind of tokens in a story um, that wasn't really about them. They did something noble in, in their circumstance, but it wasn't like they weren't the main thing really. Yeah, there are reasons why you've probably never heard a man say that their favorite character from the Bible was a female character. Whereas it's probably quite normal for women to say that their favorite characters in the Bible are men. And that was always my experience growing up. I wanted to be Peter. I wanted to be John. And um, I liked Esther and Ruth, but they, they, they're, they weren't as important as a lot of these other characters. So I think a lot of our listeners would be pretty familiar with um, the idea of calling God mother or calling, um, trying to, you know, we do it here on the show all the time, like not using uh, gender pronouns for God. I think that's that's rising up in popularity and just in awareness, I guess, in sort of the progressive Christian circles. Um, but I kind of want to start from like the foundation here as we think about this topic and just even ask, like, why do we even think of God as he in the first place? Like, why are we having to undo <laughs> this? Um, you know, this has been, this has been, uh, I think, the case for hundreds or, you know, maybe a couple thousand years that, that like, we've been doing this. So it's not, it's not just an issue here in the last um, century or something where suddenly we started calling God mm-hmm. he and we need to unlearn this um, because we're becoming woke now or something. It's like, I don't, this is a, this is a deeper foundational thing. Right. And if anything, that might be a, a threat and a pushback. Like the fact that this it's, we've been calling God male for all of known history, sure. I think could lead a lot of people to say, you know, Hey, maybe we probably shouldn't change this or I'll lead a lot more traditional and people holding more traditional views to, to look on, those of us who are maybe changing the way we talk about God and, yeah. and see see us as just leaving reality and, you know, foundational truths. Right. Yeah. I mean, so where does this even come from, I guess? Where, why do we think of God as he or male and we need to like unlearn, like where did that come from? Well, first of all, it's important to just point out where it doesn't come from. And this is something that's pretty obvious that all of us would have been familiar with, but often isn't stated outright, which is simply that God is not male in the sense that we understand male. God doesn't have a penis. Exactly. Okay, let's just (laughs) say it. As as God doesn't have a body at all, and that is, I mean, that's how we determine male and female in our entire experience of gender. Um, So... On the most practical and objective level, we know, and even I think the most traditional conservative person would agree, we know that God is not male in the way that we generally understand male. So then the question becomes, why why do we talk about God as male then if God isn't? Um, and really, this comes down to linguistics, which is fun because that's one of my favorite things to study and uh, we'll, it, it affects more than we realize. Hmm. Um, a lot of people might be familiar with the term linguistic determinism. And it's just essentially the concept that the way we talk about things determines the way we think about those things. Hmm. Um, it's, it can often be a bit of a chicken and egg situation. Like, were we thinking about it? And so there we start talking about it that way or do we think of it that way because we talk about it that way? Give me an example of of one, like before we jump into this, like what's an example of linguistic determinism? 
Um, okay, well, one example that I love is that in some African languages, they have different determiners. Um, a determiner in English would be the word the. We have essentially just the or uh, so like a dog or the dog. Those are really our only determiners. And we just use them for everything, for inanimate objects, for people, whatever. In certain African languages, they have different determiners for different categories of things. So they have a determiner for animate objects, things that are alive. And then they have a determiner for inanimate objects. And the way that this matters for the way you think about things is what they choose to use those for. So for example, that this language uses um, an, an animate determiner, so like to denote a living thing, for, um, for trees and rocks. And that's the same determiner that's used for people. And so, so if you grow wow. up speaking that language, you think about nature as alive in the same way that you think of yourself as alive. And you're like a part um, so that's of just it a little, and, yeah, exactly. And it's in it that, you know, a tree and a rock are alive in a way that a table isn't. Hmm. Um, and so, um, so that's just an example about the way that we talk about things can affect, um, the way we think about them. Or for example, um, the, whether or not you have a future tense has been shown to affect, um, the way that you save money. So to explain that, uh, languages that have a future tense, such as English, um, are different than languages that don't, such as German or Mandarin Chinese. Um, those languages both, they use the same, same, talking about the present and the future, there, there isn't one, it's just one category. Um, and it, after some research, they determined that the languages that don't separate the present from the future, the people who speak those languages actually um, do better saving money. And they think that's because they don't think of it as a separate time that they're planning for and saving money for later. They mm. just think of it all as essentially happening now and in the present. And so it's easier for them to put keep money wow. <laughs> in a very practical way. Whereas people who speak a language like English think of the future as far away because it's different than the present. And so it's... Um, they save less oh, money. That's, yeah, that's fascinating. So then when it comes to talking about our concept of God as male or God as he, um, you think there's some of that going on? Yeah. So, of course, the question goes back to why Why did anyone start talking about God as he? And obviously God um, in different religions is spoken about differently, but specifically within um, Judaism and the religion of the ancient Israelites. Um, the question First of all, an important piece of information is, of course, that they were speaking Hebrew. And that's significant because in Hebrew, to talk about any person doing anything, so to use any verb, um, you have to choose a gender. There's no gender-free option in the language. Um, in English, we have, you know, he, she, and it. It is kind of our gender-free option, which still is, you know, not, not great. English has a... We, we do focus mostly on he and she. Obviously, people are trying to develop gender-neutral pronouns. Um, Hebrew doesn't have those. So, from the very first verse of the Bible, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In English, we actually didn't have to determine a gender there. All we said was God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. There's no he or she. But in Hebrew, that verb created, in order to use the verb, they had to put in there a gender. So, if you read the verse in Hebrew... It will it essentially says in the beginning, God, he created the heavens and the earth. So they had to pick something. So obviously 
Genesis 1-1 isn't the very first time anyone ever talked about God. The scriptures uh, are the outcome of thousands of years of oral tradition and people talking. And so really my point is just that these ancient people, thousands of years before Genesis, were already talking about God. And as soon as any words came out of their mouth about God, they had to choose whether it was going to be male or female. They didn't have a choice. Hmm. And so the question then becomes maybe why did they choose male versus female? And we'll never know for sure. There's a lot of possible options. Obviously, if you're in a patriarchal culture, then a male figure has more power and that probably plays into it. Also, if they were in conflict with other people groups who had female gods, they might have wanted to contrast with that. Or on the other hand, if they were in conflict with um, people groups with male gods, they maybe wanted another male that could stand up to that other male god. So there's a lot of reasons and we don't know for sure. But um, the main takeaway is that they had to pick one. Wow. Yeah, it's fast. So like, so you feel like if this had started, possibly started in like a language that you didn't have to pick. Yeah. Like, what do you feel like that would change? How do you feel like things would be different? Yeah, I think it's fascinating. Um, I've spent time in, in China and learned Mandarin and in that language that you don't have to pick. Um, they have one pronoun that sounds exactly the same. Ta means he or she or it. And so I think often about what if um, the ancient Jews, ancient Israelites had spoken a language like Mandarin, um, where you simply didn't have to decide. I think we could think about God so differently. Um, and and we'll never really know. But even, even Chinese people today, the, their Bibles are written. They have a special pronoun that's written that just means God. It doesn't say he or she. It just means God. Hmm. That's really cool. And it, this kind of rolls into this like trend, I think, of wanting to un- undo it, especially, um, I think, women wanting to hear God talked about in at least gender neutral, just say God. Um, but then there's also, I think, a, a trend, which I think is really cool, to talk about God as woman and God as mother and draw out some of those characteristics of God. And I've I've seen this in, in liturgies and in poems and song over the last, I'd say, you know, 10 years. Um, there's, there's a rise in that. And uh, I was very, you know, when I was still in my very reformed um, conservative world, that felt really threatening. It felt like it was challenging the foundations of, of who God is. And I remember there, I remember sermons I even heard about, oh, what was, oh, it's, I mean, it's the shack, right? That was the big, that was the big issue with the shack was that God was a black woman in the, um, I'm not sure which they had, what, what we had a bigger deal with, um, the, uh, the race or the gender of the portrayal of God. But, um, yeah, so I, I remember like basically sermons against the shack or books against the shack I'm, uh, back in Christian radio, just like, you know, attacking these, they, they felt very threatening. They felt really threatening to, um, you're, you're changing. Cause if you're willing to change that, then aren't you going to just lose everything? Right. And, um, so I guess my question for you as a woman, um, and someone who teaches about these things and, uh, it's like, what have you seen being personally, but also just with people in your classes, like, um, being the benefits, um, to, to kind of walking into some of these liturgies of God as woman and God as, 
mother, um, comforter, like some of these uh, different characteristics that you that you get um, in thinking about God as woman. Yeah, how's that benefited you and illuminated things for you? It has been healing in a way that is hard to put into words. And so I'll just share an experience from one of my classes, the class called Woman, God, and the Bible. Um, and was with just a group of women. And one of the things we did in the first class was I showed them a, a picture of the Sistine Chapel, that very famous depiction of Adam reaching out to this depiction of God and, you know, their hands touching. It's one of the most iconic images of God of all time. Um, and so we looked at that image and kind of um, took in the the feelings that come to mind when we're looking at that. And a lot of them are these very familiar feelings of God being kind of protective and authoritative and um, powerful. And then I showed them a depiction of that same image, but an artist has um, changed the the God figure into a woman still with like the flowing gray hair and the kind of reddish pink robe. So very similar, but, but a woman. And, um, we just looked at it for a couple minutes in silence. And then, um, I asked them to share what their feelings were. And I mean, people were in tears and the voices were shaking as they were trying to explain what, they were feeling. And a big part of it, I think, is simply that we as women have always seen God as different from us in a way that men maybe haven't. Like God, as a male, is um, innately by nature not the same as, as us. And to see God portrayed as a woman somehow connects God to to us in a way that we've never experienced before in a way that I think could be hard for men to understand because they've never had, they've, they've always had God connected to them and similar to them in that way portrayed as a male. But when we, so just looking at that image was very healing also because it highlights um, elements of God, such as, you know, tenderness and, um, kind of understanding and um, empathy. And of course, none of those characteristics are innate only to women in the same way that authority and protectiveness are not innate to men. Um, but culturally, as we have always seen um, men and women different in certain ways, it's important for us to see God portrayed in both of those ways. And that was kind of our takeaway from that session was we didn't, none of us wanted to throw away the, the male God. And, and I know some women do feel that way because they've been so hurt by that. But um, we just wanted to acknowledge that we've been missing half of God by only seeing God as male. We've been missing out on um, the other, the, the, the fullness of God. And, um, and that, it's encouraging to, to realize that by pushing for inclusive language about God, by pushing for God to be seen also as woman and as she, we aren't, we aren't undermining the um, nature of God. We are actually expanding it and um, trying to understand God more fully. Wow. Yeah, that's 
interesting and really powerful too to think about and and I think it's also you know I've definitely thought about this before but even just hearing that um realizing my privilege of just not having to think about that at the core of the the universe this being that is supposedly like behind everything and at the the core of everything that is believed um I was I didn't have to think about it not being similar to me I didn't have to overcome that there wasn't a hurdle there for me to imagine the the being that's at the foundation of the universe being different than me um it was always the same I was always just like who I was you know it felt it felt uh there's that difference because of you know this being is so much holier than I am but I didn't have to also overcome like and <laughs> different than me and it doesn't it can't relate to to me as a male um so that's really powerful my soul magnifies the lord and my spirit rejoices in god my savior for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant for behold from now on all generations will call me blessed for he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation he has shown strength with his arm he has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts he has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate he has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty he has helped his servant israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers to abraham and to his offspring forever my soul magnifies the creator and my spirit rejoices in my savior for she has looked on the humble estate of her servant for behold from now on all generations will call me blessed for she who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is her name and her mercy is for those who fear her from generation to generation she has shown strength with her arm she has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts she has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. She has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich she has sent away empty. She has helped her servant Israel in remembrance of her mercy. As she spoke to our mothers, to Sarah, and to her offspring forever. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Hey, Brian, do you know anyone that was once a teenage fundamentalist? 
Oh, Troy, you know that I was because you and I have a podcast called I Was a Teenage Fundamentalist. I did know that. But you know what I find myself asking these days? No, I don't, but I think you're going to tell me. What about all those things that church gave us definite answers for? What are we supposed to think about all those things now? Well, funnily enough, that's what we're doing for season five of I Was a Teenage Fundamentalist. Ooh, Brian, I sense the Lord at work here. Mm, he works in mysterious ways. And we are going to unpack these things. We're going to find out what we do think about them now. So tune in to season five of I Was a Teenage Fundamentalist, the official podcast for the Azusa Street Revival. <laughs> um, I'm not quite sure that's true, but it is available wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs> That reading was the Magnificat from Luke. It's the prayer of Mary. And I would love to hear what your thoughts were on hearing that, referring to God both as male and as female. I think I was struck with what you were j- like just saying before that of, I felt like I had a, I had a moment right at the beginning, very quickly of like, I don't know this God. <laughs> like it was, re- it was, re- it was a weird, like, <laughs> like, oh wow, I don't know this God. I need to get to know this God. Wow. Um, there's something about this God that I, I doesn't feel familiar to me anymore. And um, then, I, then I had to like think about why that is. And, um, and it, yeah, it's like it's like I wouldn't have been able to articulate that without hearing it read in that way. You know, like it's like. Mm-hmm. Um, I was thinking like, yeah, you know, there's aspects or something that would maybe, but then when I heard it, I was like, wow, I don't know. I don't know this God. Um, if, yeah, it feels like inherently different than me. And um, yeah, it was, was really powerful. Wow. That's incredibly powerful. It's almost like for thousands of years, we've seen and related to God as a single parent, a single father and while that is good and beautiful because the characteristics often associated with father are um, are good, we're missing the those that are associated with mother. And I mean, even you know, thinking of you as you were listening to that uh, passage and thinking this is a God I don't know. I mean, that was you know almost heartbreaking for me to hear because it's like it's like you've never had God as a mother. Mm, um, yeah. And I mean, in the same way, I also haven't either. But then. You know, we've all been missing um, this very important part of God. I remember the first time when I was kind of searching for a different church experience and wanted something, first of all, that was affirming, but second of all, I wanted to experience the the leader of this thing, whether it was a pastor or a priest or whatever, being a woman. And so found this Episcopal church, and the first time walking forward and having the Eucharist served to me by a woman and uh, it it's like, it's hard to articulate even. I can't quite explain what happened inside of me in that moment, but it was so powerful. And it, I just remember after thinking like, I don't ever want to do it another way, um, which maybe that's not the answer, you know, like swinging the pendulum completely, but, um, but just to, to correct, I think a lot of the picture and the, the, the view that I've had of God and um, it, it, it was just powerful in that sense and made me just be like, this is all I want. Like, I just want to correct this for the rest of my life almost. Um, and so, yeah, I remember that being 
so powerful. That's such a valuable um, story to hear, especially from you as a man, because I think a lot of people think of, you know, this movement to to see God as woman or as she, as kind of a, this is all for the women. Like the women have been you know, missing out and they want their share of God or something like that. But that's not what it is at all. That this is, um, it's a, it's creating a more holistic picture of God for everyone and that it's providing um, healing and just a bigger picture for both men and women. So thank you for sharing that and for allowing yourself to feel that when you were taking the Eucharist. Yeah, I'm curious, how do you personally refer to God? I try to just refer to God as God. I'm still, I still pretty regularly use the male pronoun just because it's so programmed into me and I'm trying to be conscious about changing that. But I haven't felt a huge need to switch all the way to calling God she because I think I know, like you were saying, that calling God she is, is, you know, maybe a correction. It's a pendulum swing the other direction. That can be helpful and really beautiful. And, you know, maybe even doing readings like the one we just did, doing that in church sometimes in a, in a, with a female pronoun, like those things could be helpful as a, as a correction. But if we're going to try and come up with an accurate term for God, then what we're saying is that neither he nor she are fully accurate. Um, and in that case, even the term God is not accurate because God is uh, a male word. The female version would be goddess, which feels a little bit, you know, weird and kind of mystical to most Christians. Um, So, you know, not to get too crazy here, but maybe we got to toss out the word God entirely. Well, and you see people doing that with terms like, you know, the universe, or I know you as a huge Star Wars fan, mm-hmm. like the term the force. Um, I do love but the these, force. <laughs> I think these words kind of get in, get into that kind of direction. Um, and I know they also, you know, a lot of people from probably from the more conservative um, reformed world would have some pretty major issues with, with, you know, take cutting God out of, out of it, the word God out of it. And granted it's uh it's a daunting task to think of can we not only i mean to totally uproot the way we think about the divine i mean it it, you know i i don't even really know where to start like because coming up with a new way to talk about god means coming up or trying to identify what is even the most important part of god what is the defining quality is it that god is divine is it that God is universal? Is it that he's, she's, it's, yeah. And so it's just, where do you even start? Um, yeah. I'm still very much figuring that part out. Most of what I do is just talking about the Bible um, and the, the texts that are already written. So it, actually in my personal life, it's not incredibly um, relevant day to day to figure out how am I going to refer to God? Hmm. Okay. So I feel like the, the elephant in the room and probably the thing that a lot of people are thinking is like, okay, but then Jesus came on the scene, right? Um, and Jesus comes on the scene and is referring a lot to mm. God as Father. So shouldn't that mm-hmm. be our example then? And what do we, yeah, what, what do you do with that? And how do you kind of think about that one? Yes, absolutely. I can still remember where I was sitting when these questions hit me. Of I, you know, I felt like I was making all this progress of like, oh, God's God doesn't have to just be Father. God can be Mother, and God's and and then I was just stopped short by. Oh, but Jesus didn't make that switch. Jesus didn't 
challenge the picture. In fact, Jesus called God Father more than anything else. And and I was committed to following Jesus wherever he led. And and Jesus himself is Jesus is a male. That was um and Jesus is the incarnation of God, according to everything I believe. So twelve disciples, they're all men. Yeah. Right. These are these are raised a lot, I think, with when we, whenever this topic comes up. Right. And I mean, Jesus being the person that I respected and loved more than anything in the world, um, I thought if if Jesus called God Father and was promoting male leadership, then maybe I'm totally off base here. And maybe I'm not really following Jesus. So this is a huge question for me. After doing a little bit more research, I found some really remarkable answers to um, this question, um, proposed answers. I don't know if we'll ever know for sure. But one researcher talked about the fact that Jesus calling God Father was actually already a revolutionary statement at that point in time for him. That if you look back on the Old Testament, there's not a lot of language that calls God Father. God is more of an authoritative um, king, lord kind of position, not a parent. So Jesus um, Jesus' move to call God Father more than any other title was already um, creating a more personal and familial relationship with God than the Jews around him were used to. Um, so he wasn't just playing into like the normal way of viewing God. He was challenging it, but um, was just challenging it with the term father rather than generic parent or mother and i mean this is like the the lord's prayer too right like mm. you i think what was revolutionary about that was the the very intimate language the personal language of you know you pray and contrasting it with with like basically begging a a deity to listen to you jesus gives us this prayer of like you know you're talking to your dad basically kind of a picture Right. The most common Jewish prayer um, starts with, blessed are you, Lord, our God, King of the universe. That's the way that he is addressed. Um, And then Jesus says, when you pray, say, our Father. And that already right there is a huge contrast and a really beautiful one. Why did he choose Father? The the scholar thought maybe it was um, simply a a more accurate metaphor for what Jesus was trying to um, point out about God at the time meaning the figure of father in the ancient world um, maybe more accurately reflected what Jesus was trying to point out than the figure of mother. If you think about fathers and mothers in 2022, we um, there's a lot of equality. Like fathers and mothers both have um, levels of authority over different areas. They can um, both be, you know, the comforters and both be the the breadwinners. And whereas in the ancient world, the mother was very um, subjugated to the father in most cases. So calling God mother wouldn't have been as, you know, liberating as it feels today. When we call God mother today, we think of our own mothers. And for the most part, that's um, a, a beautiful thing. And we don't think of someone who was, you know, subject to their husband in, in a very oppressive way. Whereas, and so to talk, to call God mother in a first century world would have felt pretty unnatural maybe would have been revolutionary in a different way, but that could be one reason why Jesus didn't choose mother as the title um, because mother in that world wouldn't have looked very similar to God. I know we're talking just primarily about the, 
<laughs> these gender terms for God and that kind of thing. But but we did mention like picking 12 male disciples. I mean, obviously Jesus is a man, like maybe that's not, you know, maybe that's not as big of a deal here, but like the, the 12 disciples, you know, this is kind of getting into, and we're going to talk, the next thing I want to ask you is where are we going in this series? But, and, and this is going to kind of lead into some of that, but um, with these 12 disciples being male, I've heard that as a pushback a lot from close friends, even that, it's like Jesus had a chance, just like you're saying about what he chooses to call God, but Jesus had a chance to kind of shake this up and show like, you know, the kingdom of God is, um, this new kingdom I'm starting is different than what you've seen. And we're going to have women in leadership in this as well. And so I guess, um, would you say it's it's similar in that, you know, let's take let's take a couple steps here in the, in the right direction, but Jesus isn't taking the complete steps all the way to the, you know, the perfect view that we would have because it just would be too big of a leap for the culture at the time. Is that sort of what you're saying? Um, I actually do have a bit of a different take on the disciple issue. Um, and I don't necessarily have a solid, you know, here's the answer, but I, I do think that, um, we are potentially missing some information about Jesus and his disciples. Ooh, okay. Dun, dun, dun. So, turn, turn the volume up a little bit on your jog. Or, yeah, or maybe tune in for a future episode, because honestly, this is one of the areas that I most um, am most fascinated with studying, and it's, it involves texts that didn't make it into our New Testament, it involves the canonization process, and there's a lot of research being done on this, more than we can get into in this episode right here. So, um, for now... Let's say I think that I think that there were women more involved and potentially even on the same level as the disciples than we know. We do have hints throughout the New Testament texts, especially the Gospels, that there um, were women involved in greater capacity than we realize. And there are other texts outside the New Testament that tell us about the early church that point to um, higher levels of female leadership even in Jesus' time, than um, we read about in in our Bibles. Um, so that's an exciting topic that we will get into. Can't wait to come back. Yeah. But yes, big big question. I think there's a there's a large spectrum. <laughs> the spectrum is wide for the people that listen to almost heretical, and there's probably some that uh, I know there are some that don't believe in God anymore, aren't even aren't even there. Um, they 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 know that culturally this is how they see the world though because of their upbringing and their past and so they they um still partake in conversations like this because they think they're helpful and then there's others who are probably hearing a conversation like this and going like uh this is, makes me uncomfortable mm, a bit um right nervous and nervous yeah like maybe scared right right <laughs> there are any clues in the bible that that show us that god is actually not as determinant of concern of, of yeah of of god's own gender and god's own pronoun like do we see do we see any of yeah, that what does god think about what does all god this? think about god you know we asked like how do you refer to god how do i but what does god refer to god self as there is actually a beautiful answer to this and something that i'm i'm glad you asked because for those people who are out there who are feeling nervous about um talking about god this way as potentially not male um, the passage that I would want to point us all to is Exodus 34. Oh, yeah. um, this is a, such a significant place because it's one of the only places where God um, names and describes God's self. 
And um, the the verse says, God says, the Lord, the Lord, which of course in Hebrew is, uh, doesn't say Lord, says Yahweh, Yahweh, which is simply the name that we'll come back to. God says, Yahweh, Yahweh, a God compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness. And that's, that's the first line that God uses to name God's self. The very first descriptive word there is a God compassionate. And the word compassionate in Hebrew is the root. The root of that word is racham, which means womb. Mm. So some translators translate it rather than compassionate, translate it womb love. And I think it's significant that the very first um, word that we're, we're told in Exodus that God uses to describe God's self is that um, God loves with a womb love. Mm. Wow. And that's a very motherly image. But even more significant than that, it's simply the fact that the name of God, that the name that God provides in Exodus is Yahweh. And as we all know in the Christian world, that means I am, that God's name is I am. And in, in Hebrew, in essentially all languages, that name um, is gender neutral. It's, it's a first person singular term, just, and it doesn't have male or female. So... What that means is that in Exodus, when God names God's self and describes God's self, um, there's no there's no gender there. And I think what that means is that God's giving us permission to to take this journey and ask these questions. And um, we simply want to know not how who do we think God is, but who is God, and we're allowed to take that journey. Wow! Yeah. Okay, so where else are we going in the series? Like, let's get people excited about uh, where we're headed here. We talked a lot about the the gender of God and how God doesn't have a gender today and how that frames, uh, what do you call it, linguistic determinism? That that changes how we see God and how we feel about God to the point of, like, looking at the Sistine Chapel or uh, hearing the Magnificat, like, read with God as a woman uh, makes us feel stuff as a, as a man or a woman. Like, it makes you feel something um, makes you feel something different, and it gives you a, a bigger perspective of God. So that's largely what we talked about today to set the foundation for this series. So where are we going? What are we? What are you hoping people kind of come away with in this series as we march on? Well, a few of the things that are really important to talk about is just the composition of the Bible and whose voices got to um, create these texts. Whose voices do we hear? Um, so we'll talk about the texts themselves, um, who speaks, who writes. Then we'll talk about how the stories contain so much objectification and sexual violence toward women, often in a way that's not condemned, even from the creation accounts and the fall and the way that women are um, essentially blamed for sin in the world. Um, We'll look at imagery of women as whores that are used um, to... To, as images for Israel, but as ways that women are innately put down. We'll look at texts about women that used to be in our Bibles that were taken out around the re- time of the Reformation that have some of the most um, powerful and heroic depictions of women that have ever been in the Bible. We'll look at women in the New Testament, we'll look at Mary Magdalene, we'll look at Paul and where Paul fits in the trajectory of how women are portrayed throughout the Bible and whether whether Paul should be the end point of the trajectory or potentially um, 
a, a step in the wrong direction. And then we'll talk about the way forward, how we um, follow up a history of incredible patriarchy among the church and how we change directions, how we change the way we read the Bible, whether we read some parts of the Bible. Well, and those are kind of questions that, like we said at the beginning, are going to get into other topics, right? Like how we how we read the Bible, what we choose to read. Right. Um, you know, like Tim and I in the past have talked about how it's like, I don't know that I would even start my kid on the Bible until they're a certain age. Just like if mm-hmm. I look at this as a series of texts, um, there are some texts in there that I'd be like, yeah, that's fine, you know? Um, and there's other texts I'd be like, eh, maybe not tell your role, you know? Like that, that looking at the Bible that way, I think is is helpful as well. Just like we would, you know, I'm I'm excited about when, uh, my oldest is going to be at the age to read Harry Potter or something like that. Like, just like we do that, um, it's, uh, I think we need to look at biblical texts that way. Mm, exactly. I'm so excited about this journey that we are going to go on here. We have, um, we don't know. We don't know how many episodes this series is going to be. We're going to find it along the way and and hit a lot of these topics that Shelby talked about. Um, and it's going to get pretty foundational to what we think about and when we think about God, when we think about the Bible, when we think about how we read this thing, this collection of texts. And we're even going to talk about, I feel like I have to like whisper this, we're even going to talk about texts that aren't in the Bible anymore. So uh, I hope that you are as excited as we are. Um, and Shelby, thanks so much for for joining to talk about these really important topics. Oh, there's a big smile on my face because this is my, I, we talk about this all day and I, I can't wait for more. Yeah. So come on back, subscribe, join us on this conversation. And if you have questions as we go in this episode or just anything that we're going to be talking about, definitely, definitely write in. You can get in touch with us, submit your question at almostheretical.com. And just remember, as you're thinking about these, if some of this feels uncomfortable, some of this feels like uh, maybe it's new or challenging, it's all right to ask questions, to have to have these thoughts in your head. Like, there's nothing wrong about that. I know for a long time I felt like that was wrong and I just need to, like, recenter myself and get back. Like, this is okay. You're okay. And there's many people on this journey with you. And um, it's exciting. It's exciting to see. Uh, we talk about this slippery slope sometimes and it's it's uh, almost sounds like, um, sounds scary, but there's a lot of joy in life on this journey. And we're excited to be doing this with you. <laughs>